quiet. What happened? Here we are. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Am I? What's that? Came on, then it went back off, right? Well, anyway, uh, sorry about the darkness back there. Um, it started doing that today, and then it came back on, and then it went off, and I said, I think I'll probably have to go get a ballast. But I didn't get to that today either. And then I've got another section here that's doing the same thing. So when we look down through here, it's like, you guys are in the dark. <laughs> but you have the light in your hands, right? Oh, yes, we are in a uh, very glorious text. I feel very inept in presenting this and all the depth that's there. But I'll tell you this, it is really uplifting. This is a great section. So we'll just pray that... Um, do this somewhat of justice, um, but um, we were talking about last week where it says that Christ gave Himself up for her, gave Himself up for the bride, and as we talked about that, we realized that Christ desires for His church to be perfect. And he will make sure that the church will be perfect. And matter of fact, he wants the whole universe to see his bride. His bride he is very proud of. I guess if I can say that word. Um, because the bride is a beauty. Uh, it's his creation. The appearance of his bride uh, is its all about her in the sense that what he has done in uh, in his great work and he wants all of creation to be able to see this bride. The Lord uh, is rejoicing in that relationship. And he's looking forward. And I say this in a humanistic terms, but he's looking forward to the time when the bride will be in all of its glory. Because that's where everything is heading. And uh, he glories in all this. And there isn't anything... Uh, that he will not do for his bride as far as uh, righteous things are concerned. And so here we are now, sitting here today, uh, year 2011, and he is sanctifying uh, us, the whole body of Christ. Uh, that is his um, job that he's doing, and it will be um, made perfect eventually. At the same time, uh, we know that his whole goal is that we be made into the image of Christ. I think of Romans 8.30. And that's where God will be glorified in, uh, in, I guess, in a true essence, in more of a way than ever before. So what we've been looking at, we've been considering the relationship of Christ and the church. And <clears throat> we considered the fact that Christ died for the church, gave himself up for her, and that uh, brought us into the subject of the atonement. And we even look at that. And, of course, we know in the body of Christ today, there's a really hot controversy over that sense in that um, it deals with the limits of the atonement. Any way you look at it, unless you're... Oh, good to see you, Penny. It started early, Penny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is the night you start on time. Well, uh, I want to tell you, it's so upbeat that I can't wait to get into it because we will not have enough time to be able to uh, put all the consideration here that we need to. But um, he he actually gave himself up for the church. He died for the church, and the Lord has set aside his bride. And, of course, this is dealing with sanctification. Um, the bride is his possession. The bride is bought and paid for. And and that's why I think when we started talking about a little bit of the limited atonement last week, if he has already 
thought of this and done of, uh, done this uh, as far as before the foundation of the world, he knew exactly the way that this building, this temple, or another illustration of what we're dealing with is the bride, exactly who that bride was, and he was going to buy that bride out of the slavery. When you take individuals and then put them into a, a, a group or into this, this body, then we see that that does make sense in that he bought and paid for his church. So Christ did that. Now we continue with how he sets us apart. And that's sanctification. That's the doctrine of sanctification. And we'll see that, yes, he is even in on that too. Let's pray. Father, as we go into uh, such a glorious passage, uh, we always know that you are with us we want you to steer us into your great truths the deep truths of the ages that comes from you and that we can understand a little more thoroughly in our own lives what this analogy really means a husband and wife and the church and Christ and how that relationship is so instrumental in how we live today, but it points to even something that's even better and further into the future when we look to the time that we will be glorified and what the whole plan is as far as it's going to its culmination. And uh, we thank you for showing that to us in your scripture as we look at it tonight. And uh, we just pray that your spirit illumines us into more of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we talk about the bride of Christ because um, we look at wives, we look at husbands, and then he gives this great illustration. We looked at verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And that was the basically the, the topic from last week. Gave himself up, died for her, and then it says in 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now here in verse 27 is where everything is going to. This is the end of it all, if we can say end, <laughs> because there's really no ending, but this is where everything is headed. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so that's that's the ultimate right there in verse 27 keep that in mind so and then he comes back to the practical aspect so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Stop there for a moment. For a moment. Why did he die for the church? Why did he give himself up? Well, for one thing, it starts with taking our sin away. It doesn't end with that. That's just part of the beginning of it. If we were just forgiven and have our guilt be taken away, that would be something. But it goes deeper than that. But it's nice to be reminded, even out of the Old Testament, what God had in mind for His people. Back in Isaiah 1.18, as far as taking our sin away, for instance, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, this is kind of pointing to what uh, Paul is writing uh, in verse 
26 when he's talking about sanctification and cleansing and that he's talking about no spot uh, or any wrinkle or any blemish. And here he's saying, and this would be where justification is. This is where salvation is at first uh, in, in verse 18. So we start with that. But that's really where Paul takes and goes with it much deeper. But one has to be forgiven first and justified. Uh, take another Old Testament passage, and that's in Micah 7.19. And we're talking about sin just being taken away, cast away. How have you guys done with Micah? You still looking? There we go. I found it. <laughs> Finally. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Never to be remembered again. To be taken away. That is one of the biggest questions I think anybody should be able to answer. You would like for anybody to be able to answer is how do you get your sins taken care of? I mean, isn't that the problem that all of the world has? It's a sin problem, a nature of sin. And here he's promising that sins will be cast away into the depths of the sea. Go to Jeremiah 31, 34. Prophecy. Dealing with a new covenant. Great chapter. And verse 34 says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now that's the third Old Testament passage where we see the sin is taken away. He will not remember it anymore. The sin is blotted out. Nothing to be ever imputed to you, again, to people who are believers that are in that covenant, in that new covenant. Jeremiah kind of uh, gives a little bit more uh, added on to the other ones there. And we go to the New Testament and we look in John 13. That's dealing with salvation. In John 13.10, still kind of related to this, this is uh, Christ washing the disciples' feet, and now this time He's going to show that there's something else besides just having your sin taken away. There's a daily basis here. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So he's talking about uh, this cleansing. There's a one-time cleansing. Um, The one who has been bathed, the one who has been justified, the one who is now brought into this covenant, needs only to wash his feet. The the daily um, thing that we are to do, in the sense that uh, there's a uh, 1 John 1.9 says that we are to confess our sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. Even though He's done it on a one-time basis, there's still the daily walk that we have when the priest uh, would do their duties at the tabernacle. There was the altar where they would sacrifice the animals and then the next piece of furniture was the laver and that's where they would wash their uh, hands, and of course, if you're uh, on a dirt floor, which is what that tabernacle was about, your feet were going to get dirty. For them to go any further, they were just to cleanse that, uh, to have themselves clean. But they were already clean in, as being the priest and having their white uh, symbolic robes on, and uh, as they would minister before the Lord. Here is a washing of the feet, and he says, You don't need to be saved more than once, but you need to have a daily cleansing. Now we're getting into something that would represent something like sanctification, as Jesus mentions here to him. So our first John one nine talks about that, confessing sin. It's always clean. 
Then we look at John 17, the great prayer that Jesus has for the disciples. And in verse 19, Jesus has said, Sanctify them by your truth, in verse 17. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they may also be sanctified by the truth. So there's a sanctification going on there. That's the Word of God, uh, the truth. Um, I sanctify myself, I set myself apart that they would be set apart by uh, the truth. So we start here um, tonight dealing with sanctification and you'd ordinarily think, well, that means we're going to be talking about how good we can be and doing uh, a lot of things. And um, we would be talking about ourselves. And that's not where you start with sanctification. You don't start with uh, yourself. That's where people like to start with it but you start with the nature and the character of God and who He is. We have no choice, really, in sanctification. We do, but we don't. In the overall sense, we don't because God is going to do what He's going to do with you. And by the time we get through this, we can see what I'm... hopefully uh, make that clear. But yes, we do um, say, uh, I want to be obedient here. And we do that. But yet, in the overall scheme... God's plan is that He's going to do this. He's going to work in you as what? We work it out. But He's working this in. He has already planned for works for us to do before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 2.10. So, it's really something that Christ does, though. He is the sanctifier, as the Holy Spirit is. After He died for us, He washes us and He cleanses us. And we see that sense where um, it's not a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing process. Justification is once. Now, if we submit to Him, we know that He's going to He's going to uh, cleanse us. If we don't, He's going to cleanse us in another way. And that's in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 6, where He chastens His own. He will discipline. Uh, when we have been disobedient. Uh, We can fight against Him, we can struggle against Him, and He will knock you down (laughs) because He is going to sanctify you whether you want to be or not. It's just how obedient do you want to be? Do you want Him to keep knocking you down? He he can do that, and He does. Uh, I don't think overall sanctification is something we determine. He's the one that does it. Um, we'll remember that he gave himself up to do what? What does Ephesians say here? He gave himself up that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. He sanctifies. We don't do our own sanctification. He gave himself up so that we would be holy. We desire to be holy. He puts that in us. We don't want to be disobedient. So, so we, we, there must be obedience. We must obey. But that is not the primary emphasis here in this text. The decision was made when? Before the foundation of the world. When you teach sanctification, you don't start with man. When you teach justification, you don't start with man. When you um, teach the doctrine of the church, you don't start with man. When you think of any doctrine, and there is not a doctrine that you ever start with man. It's always about who God is. You look into His nature. You look into His character. You, you start knowing who He is. We need to know God, right? We need to know Him. That's the most important thing. We want to look at His glory. We want to look at His excellencies, the very beauty of God. We can think of His grace and His mercy and His love and His um, His whole sovereignty in this. So all of the attributes together bring forth His glory. And if we start thinking that way and how great He is and, and looking at uh, as far as Him being that eternal, omniscient, omnipresent God, 
then we say, you know, I want Him working in my life because as of my own self, uh, as a rule, I have made a total disaster out of my life. If we think of Isaiah. Isaiah, he's a prophet. God chose him. There he is uh, in the temple. And Isaiah 6, and he gets this um, appearance. And uh, we get this holy, holy, holy. And he finally realizes that he's in the presence of God. And he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Right? I am ruined because he saw the holiness of God. When we see that and recognize God for who he is, then we are ready to be commissioned with what he is. Yeah. And a New Testament parallel would be Peter when he caught all those fish and just freaked out and just fell at his feet and said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to catch the fish. He had a proper view of God yeah. there, didn't he? Yeah. That's the holiness of God right there. But And yet, I, I does the church lose power the more man-centered it becomes? What do you think? I, I, I think that it does. <laughs> yeah. You know, because... You can't say that. I guess some would. That even you know, even someone like Isaiah chose God and became a prophet. Did he become a prophet because he chose God? Well, no. God chose him since the foundation of the world to be Isaiah the prophet. Yep. And, so. and he was able then to do what he did because he he met God. It was like he knew him now in a way that he didn't before. And then he said, um, you know, God was going to send him out. He said, send me. He had that proper view. When when we do that, then we're ready to to serve the Lord. How about Job? After all the stuff that he had been through, and then God kind of shows him who he is and how great his creation is out there and such. And uh, what does Job say? I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He just saw God like he had never seen him before. Did he did he know God before? Well, he was the most righteous man on earth. So I would say he was one who was definitely sanctified, justified and sanctified, but uh he is beginning to know God now in a way that uh he hadn't. I mean, he he was so righteous that he even knew that his kids were messed up. Hmm? <laughs> Cuz I mean, he offered sacrifices for his kids too, didn't he? And I don't know how old they were, yeah. but they were they were out there. So, so he wasn't the perfect parent. <laughs> <laughs> Is there such a thing? <laughs> <I've> got, <laughs> there's a got to be somebody that was no, I guess not. Cleanse. Okay, get that get that word there. We got to get that one. That he might sanctify. We know what sanctify means to set apart, right? To be made holy, be set mm-hmm. apart, and cleanse her. So the word cleanse is something we want to kind of uh, look at here. That's how we get this idea of purifying, what we call sanctification. That's where it really comes in. This is not just being washed from the guilt of sin, like some of the scriptures that we saw earlier in the Old Testament there. Uh, it's you know that's all a once for all cleansing and and that's that's good, but it doesn't stop there. We have here a continuous action action that he might sanctify and cleanse her. And in the Greek, that's the way it's set up. It's a continual cleansing going on, and the whole objective is that we would be delivered entirely, completely of sin, where there would be no sin ever again but not in this life. <laughs> there is a glorification, right? But at the same time, we look to that point where there will be nothing there completely, and that's where where he's headed. But in the meantime, there's a process that's going on and on, and we'd like to see less and less of that pollution of sin that we still have to battle with, uh, we are being cleansed from that power and pollution of sin. It's, it seems like, though, the more you know the Lord, that the more uh, 
um, uh, attentive you are maybe to sin. And you, you keep seeing sin, whereas before it didn't bother you, and now it, it might bother you a little bit more because you're knowing how holy God is. But He is cleaning sin out. He is sanctifying us, and He's doing it in a, in a perfect way and exactly the way that He wants it. And if we don't go along with Him on that when we're disobedient, like I say, He will make sure that... Um, well, He will do whatever it takes to make you pure, sanctified. How about the washing? I like this. Okay. To be cleansed. I think the word there is catharsis. And we have an English word that deals with that. A cleansing. Uh, now, the washing, Paul is showing us how uh, Christ is cleansing the church, right? He's cleansing the church right now. He's preparing this church for Himself. He's doing it now. Look in 1 Corinthians 6. He mentions some sins here then that um, they had been involved with. And this is the Corinthian church. Remember those guys. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. These are just a few. There's a list. If that is their ongoing practice, and that's what they continue in, even though they would profess to be Christians, if that's their lifestyle and that's what they live for, then he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you. That's the way that you were. But you were, look at this, washed, and there is um, the bathing, there is the justification, becoming saved, but you were sanctified. You were sanctified, set apart at that time, and you are being sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there, after all that sinful lifestyle that each one of them had been involved with, he says, but you you were washed. You were saved. Uh, You were justified in Christ. Um, You were sanctified. You are sanctified now. Uh, You don't want to keep on doing those things. That's the mark of an unbeliever. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you don't want to have that, um, those kind of things enter in even into your thought pattern. So he deals with the the kingdom there. But anyway, the washing and and the... uh, sanctification. The washing. Well, we don't get a a real definition there of what the washing is, but but I think uh, when it says that um, they were washed there as far as justification, baptism is a good illustration of that, isn't it? It's a wet baptism. It shows that one has, um, there's been a change. But we're now being sanctified. That's happening now. Look in Titus. Titus 3.5. All of our lights going to go out? Was that on for a while? Yeah. It's really playing tricks back there. At least we're not sitting in the dark. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Pick it up, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy... He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's your um, justification. Even your sanctification starts at that moment too and goes on and we're regenerated, we're renewed in the Holy Spirit. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The uh, idea of washing of regeneration there... I don't see that necessarily as a baptism there, although that can represent that. But I see what happened when we were spiritually born again, where we were regenerated. There was a a washing. That's going back to a justification. That's a cleansing from sin. Uh, We're regenerated, but we have a um, spirit-protected life there. As, as being His, and He will continue to, to, to do that uh, that cleansing, that washing. Um, now, that's the Titus passage. Now, let's go to James. 
And in James chapter 1, look at verse 21 first. And he has a therefore. Of course, James is saying, hey, there needs to be behavior for people who are Christians. And he says, therefore, after talking about the wrath of God, and, and the wrath of man, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Wow. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, there's a salvation again. What is it that saves their souls? The implanted word or that seed that goes into them. Um, that is what they have to have. Now, back up to verse 18. Of his own will. I like this verse. You like this? This kind of goes against the free will right off the bat, doesn't it? Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So it's by his will that he brings us forth. And what does he use? The word of truth. Jesus said, sanctify them in thy truth. So the Word of God comes in here. It not only causes one to be born again, um, but it also uh, is going to be that washing of the water of the Word that um, sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, something very similar. Again, it's going to be the washing of the Word. It's not going to be worded exactly like that, but um, same kind of effect. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. Don't you like this verse? Which also effectively works in you who believe. So the Word of God causes one to be born again. They received that Word and then it worked effectively even in the ones who now have believed it. Now the Word is working in their lives as uh, He gives witness to there. They didn't receive it as just the Word of men, but it, was, it, it came with power. The power of God's Spirit and the Word of God is what, what changes our life. That's what we are to be uh, about. John 15. Here is the uh, I am the vine, you are the branches chapter. Verse 3, you are already clean. Remember to the disciples and even to Peter, he said you've already been bathed. Uh, You just need a daily cleansing. Uh, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. They're clean. The word of God is what cleanses us. That's why we tell each other constantly, we should remind each other to be in the word of God. Because that's how we are cleansed. If we're not in there, we're getting dirty. And we have to have this Word. It not only causes us to be born again, but it's a constant ongoing cleansing that um, we have working in our life. But we have to have that Word. It's very important. How about uh, John 17, 17? Oh, we read that. That's the, the prayer that Jesus had for us. Sanctify them in the truth. It's the Word, the truth. That uh, what sanctifies. So the real sanctification is through the what? The Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who uses the Word of God to make an effect on us. The Word is His instrument. So the two you cannot separate. The, the Word and the Spirit. And that is what makes the effect on us. The Word, it's about God. When you teach sanctification, like I said earlier, you don't start with man. That's the way that it's so often taught today, and that's like that, like like you're saying, Bill. That turns into the, a, a man-centered gospel, and then it becomes so weak. And now, what it is is that people are wanting something to solve their unhappy lives. Are you unhappy? Well, we've got something for you. What is it? Well, if it's not the Word and not pointing to God, then I I don't think that's going to uh, last very long. Do you feel like a failure? (laughs) Do you have a defeated life? And these people say, we can deliver you out of that kind of life. Just hand it over to the Lord. Just turn it over. Well, 
there's some truth to that matter, but what does it mean to turn it over to the Lord? Uh, how do we how do we do this? There was a book written many years ago called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Want to know that secret? Uh, Janice, <laughs> do you know about that? Yeah. Who, who was that? Hannah Whittall Smith, right? I, you know, I never read that book. I know I've seen it many times. But I think it was like um, back in the 50s, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones had to go up against that. It was There was always just the, the let go, let God. Is that kind of in that same format? And it sounded right. It sounded good. But he sniffed a rat out in that kind of uh, teaching. It was called the Keswick Conventions, and ever so often it kind of rises up under different names. But it's like it's let go, let God, uh, just surrender your life to God. And all those terms sound kind of right, but we're not getting to the real essence of the truth and about knowing God. It's something that is missing. Uh, that's not sanctification, but yet that was really what they called sanctification. Uh, you look at a holy God. You look in the face of God. The reason there are failures in life is that people are not after the knowledge of God. They want a quick fix. How can I get this kicked, this habit? Or how can I get happy real quick? Well, You, you could probably turn on the TV or the radio or get a book, uh, whether it be by Osteen or... Uh, other ones that are talking about that same kind of thing. You want a, a nice blessing now, and, and in a quick few moments. You know, if I go to a class, or if I can go there for a few weeks, then I can learn how to handle my finances, and every part of my life will be changed. And granted, we want people changed, and there's probably some truths involved in there, but are they pointing, first of all, to holy God? If they are, fantastic. If they're knowing God then it fall it can fall into place. But it's not about experience. It's about the knowledge of who He is, His attributes, His glory, uh, the very essence of Him, uh, uh, His holiness. That is probably one of the biggest doctrines that people need to know today in the church, at any time in the church, is the holiness of God. So the Holy Spirit leads us to the Word. He illumines us as the truth is being brought forth, as we read it, He implants it into our minds, and not only that, into our uh, emotions, uh, our soul, uh, the whole being, uh, our wills, and that's part of the sanctification process. Our cleansing proceeds from day to day. It's an ongoing thing, and it's going to take a lifetime we're not going to get it all together, but this process goes from day to day, month to month, year to year, decade to decade. It's a long time. And um, to God, it's like nothing. It's, it's a short amount of time. Right. And He will use those. But um, this work, He's doing... I think even right now, I think it would be safe to say, He's doing a work in you, in us, even as we sit in our chairs here just looking at His Word. He's doing a work in us. He's doing His thing. Now, verse 27. Oh, I like this. This is where it's really heading. The washing, the water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. There is the reason He died for us, that we'd be holy. I think of first uh, chapter, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He wants us to be holy. And there is the ultimate holiness. He wants us holy now, but we're going to have a hit and miss here. But eventually, perfectly holy. This is the grand end of things. And I think this is an interesting phrase, that he might present her to himself. He himself. When you think of a wedding... You think of 
the bride coming um, down the aisle, you also think of the father or somebody who's going to give her away and presents her to the bridegroom. Well, in this case here, who's presenting to who? The bridegroom, or the bride, there we go, Zach. The bride is being presented by Christ to himself. Interesting. For there is no other one that is worthy. Just like in Revelation where we see that he takes the seals, for there is no one worthy to open those up. Here, he presents the bride to himself. Um... He's done everything for us from beginning to end. He's done that for us. We can think of all of that. Of course, it's it's based on uh, what, what He wants to do. He presents to Himself us in all our glory when that time comes. Amazing. I want you to turn to Psalm 45. Well, it's for His glory, but we will be in our glory at that time. Psalm 45. Because He's going to make us glorious. That's His ultimate will. That's the reason we exist. To give glory to God so that we can share in His glory. It's all His glory that He's putting on us, but we will be glorified with absolutely no spots, blemishes whatsoever. Now, Psalm 45 is dealing with, um, really it's a messianic passage, dealing with uh, the, the Messiah. It gives quite a description to hear how great He is. But let's pick it up in verse 10. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also on your father's house, so the king will greatly desire your beauty because He is your Lord. Worship Him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. We're talking about um, the bride. The bride of the Messiah, ultimately here. Uh, This is pointing way into the future, but um, when you think of um, the king here, we're thinking of the Messiah, Christ. And, of course, you get a a glorious passage about him uh, earlier there uh, where he's called the Mighty One and his glory and his majesty. And... um, also the scepter of righteousness that he has, and that God anointed him in what he did, anointing this uh, the Mashiach, or the that would be the the Messiah, the anointed one. Anyway, that's about the glorious church, the glorious church. Incredible what he's going to do. It's all pointing to that, looking to that. I have to think of Romans eight thirty. Remember the golden chain. That great golden chain. Magnificent passage. It's got to be one of your favorite passages in all the Bible. 29 says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed. Here's the reason He predestined us. Just like our Ephesians 1.4, Why did He choose us? So we'd be holy. Here He says, Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And the Son is the one who we see who is holy. Why? That He might be the firstborn among many brethren that He would be the preeminent one, that He would be the one that would be glorified in the ultimate sense. We glorify God now, but we do it very sporadically, and it still doesn't satisfy us. We would love to be able to glorify Him more, wouldn't we? When we're glorified, we're like Christ, we'll be able to present Him in His glory in in that sense. We'll be able to show uh, His great glory whenever we are glorified, that He's preeminent. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Hey, we have lowly bodies here. (laughs) More and more so. That it may be conformed to His what? Glorious body. His glorious body. It will be like that. According to the working by which uh, that's that is a working energetic word there working by which he is able there's another power word even to subdue another power word all things to himself so he's going to you say how in the world can I ever be glorified and it's all God's works Christ's work there his working he's the one who's able to do it and he will subdue all things to himself and he will make us glorified even despite the fact of all the things we have to go through. The glorious church, there it says in Ephesians, that means that uh, we're in the state of glory. A state of glory. Forever. No spot or wrinkle? Boy, there's spots. There's spots all over the church today. There's spots all over every one of us. There's a spattering of mud and muck just kind of splatters over us. We have those spots here. All it does is just take one. It can mess up a, a whole wardrobe. I was eating spaghetti today. And I'll tell you what. Is there any way to eat spaghetti without making some kind of a little mess on you? I mean, I had one that was a little bitty spot. You could barely see it, but there it was. I'm going, oh, boy. And I was being so careful. You know, Remember the, the spaghetti thing? She always, matter of fact, she always tells me to take your shirt off. <laughs> oh, we're not clear on the visual image. <laughs> okay, all right. I just wasn't clear on that. Now I want you to look. Can you see that from back there? No. I washed it off pretty good, but there's a little bitty spot, and you can't see it. You can't. You can't even see it unless you go right there. It looks like I spit on it, but it's there. You can see it right there, can't you? Yeah. You have. You have great eyes. Yeah. No, I have terrible eyes. Magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, many spots, many stains. We have them. We know it. Staying away from the wrinkles thing. Well, I probably have some wrinkles in here too. I, this is one of the best ones I have. Yeah. How do you get away? Yeah. Nobody, and I mean nobody, no angels, principalities, powers, you name them, they're not going to be able to detect the slightest speck of any kind of unworthiness. That's what they're going to be amazed by. We're going to be so white, blazing white, so glorified that nothing will ever be detected because there's nothing. I like to nothing I, wonder, there. I want to know the difference between a spot and a ring. Give us the Greek on that, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I got the ring on that. From the Greek, that's it. That, thanks for telling me that. I, I was wondering, which one was that? Generally, that's the Spanish word. <laughs> Wrinkle. Hey, go back to chapter 3, verse 10. Oh. This is, this is, this, boy, this is a, the meaning and end of history right here. To the intent that now the manifold, the multicolored wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And this is according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Uh, We remember studying this section. And we are going to make known His wisdom. Whenever you have principalities and powers, I mean, they're amazed now. But when this all comes together in its perfection and its glory, they are going to be amazed. Because they know that we have a lot of spots and wrinkles today. They look at the church. They know. They see. They protect us. 
God uses those as ministering spirits, but yet uh, when they look at what we're going to be at that time, totally astounded. Right now we're a little lower than the angels, and then we will be above the angels. And they'll be, they've always been serving us, but we'll be judging them, 1 Corinthians 6 says. This sounds like comic book stuff, but it's true. Some people say, this is pie in the sky stuff. This is where it's all going. I mean, we know exactly where we're headed. We know about this, but boy, when you think about it, God has quite a plan. What about that wrinkle thing? Well, wrinkles are a sign of age, disease. These young guys right here, you probably can't even find a wrinkle on them. You could look all around and, until you find, uh, when you look at their shirts or something, you know. They don't have any wrinkles in their foreheads yet, right? Do you have any wrinkles yet? Uh, you guys, you guys have it coming. Look at your dad. Yeah. That's oh, cool. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> wow. Then I have to take the punishment and say, oh, yeah, look at that. Right? Got them all over. I, I, hey, I've got them in my hands. But, you know, decay, age, disease, wrinkles, a lot of wrinkles. A lot of wrinkles on the church today. A lot of spots. What's that? Confusing conversations. <laughs> Is that what you were sharing with me earlier? Yeah. <laughs> that can give you wrinkles. already <laughs> wrinkled. You got wrinkles? Got them on your hand, huh? <laughs> oh, listen. Back to the days of our youth. Skin was perfect. We're not going to have any zits there either, though, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I always, always had those. Will I be taller? Oh, you'll be the perfect height. <laughs> you will be perfect. Color in the cheeks. No spots. Age spots. I'm surprised she didn't say, will everyone be shorter? Yeah, everybody will come to your size. No. <laughs> It won't matter, will it? No, you don't. You, you'll be the one that has to change light bulbs. Right in that light at the very top. Yeah, it happens all the time. Bam! We are talking about the grandest renewal of all times. Transformed, transfigured, and, and what Christ is doing. What the Holy Spirit is doing, the Word of God, what God is doing, He's preparing us right now for that ultimate day when this happens, the day of Christ. Uh, oh, man. Uh, there's going to be a celebration. He's going to show us to the whole universe, and He is going to be showing us off in what He has done in His creation. In and of ourselves, we're nothing. We know that. But it's all about His glory and what He's doing and what a creation He's come up with. And we'll be sharing the very righteousness of Christ. We have that now. We have His righteousness in that new man. The only problem is we're still incarcerated in our body. That's a good way to put it. Still imprisoned there, right? New soul. I mean, we have a new man. But there will be perfect symmetry Nothing we know of in this universe uh, is perfect. People can come up with the, the perfect square, perfect circle, and when it, it is studied long enough with magnifying glasses or telescopes or whatever you have, you find out that nothing is perfect. Have you guys ever heard of that? There is nothing perfect. Only God is perfect. And we know that people aren't perfect. So, he says here, we are going to be that. Perfect symmetry in the way that um, the bodies that we have and everything. Do we understand this? I'm not so sure I do. But do we understand enough of it to say, He does all these things because He's pointing us to that day because He cherishes us. And you think of all the stuff you have to go through and then you realize that He loves us that much to bring us into that uh, extent. I haven't deserved any of it. 
It's quite the opposite. Now he uses two words in verse 30. I'm kind of skipping verse 28, but as we read that, we can see that he's saying, okay, husbands, um, you see what Christ did? Okay, uh, you ought to love your own wife as your own body. You take care of your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So he says, you're so unified that uh, you want to take care of her and, and love her in that way. Then he comes on to 29, kind of staying with where we've been. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. There we go back to that. Uh, it's this analogy. And um, God uses one of the greatest institutions, you know, you think of marriage, to to show how the relationship is with his grandest creation, the church, to himself. And so we start to learn how important the marriage is by looking at what that is, and we learn that this is kind of how he has for how he relates to us. Um, nourishing, you think of feeding, uh, providing food, nourishment uh, for health, for growth, like development. Ephesians four, eleven and twelve. Ephesians four, eleven and twelve. And he gave himself, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to welcome the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ. He gives the Word of God to pastors and teachers and such, and they go and they equip the saints. Saints are equipped, and of course, then they also deliver that Word. But uh, when when you come to, to, to worship, you come there to be nourished. You come to be what? We use the word fed. I want to be fed. Uh, if we go to church for any other reason, I mean, we go there to worship God. We know, but we know in turn as we worship Him, then we are to be fed. What are we fed? Well, we're fed the Word of God. And so He gives these gifts so uh, we can be fed at worship service uh, or um, Bible studies. You know, we come together. We are being fed as we go into the meat of the Word. If people don't go to worship, then how are they going to be fed? That's why I always wonder, why are people missing church so much? Is it because they don't give the feeding of the Word, or is it because they do and they don't want to hear that? <laughs> I don't know. But we should desire that like we desire food. When If if one goes very long without the Word of God, they're, they're going to starve. And what happens, and what is really sad, if one starves long enough, they don't even recognize that they really need food and they become anorexic. And I think you have a lot of anorexic Christians running around because they haven't been fed. They're not feeding themselves. And how can they grow? They need to be fed. The Lord provides it. Yeah, and, but on the other end, though, you have the people that just attend church on Sunday and then they think that they, they check that off their list. That I've gathered with the saints now. I'm good to go. And they think that they've been fed. You know, right. not for the week. Right. You know, um... Because there's there's so many there's so many people out there nowadays who are so for lack of a better for lack of a better word antisocial, and when you're antisocial you're anti-community, and and the church is all about community. It's all about us getting together and gathering and and completing the works of service. Exactly. Because there's very little very little things that the church can do. I mean, there's very little things that the church does that one person does alone. It usually is done in a group when you when you when you gather to do something. Right. You know. And what's it centered so about? Make light work or whatever. What gives that focus when they all come together? What are they still focusing on? I mean, what what are they gathering around to be able to do what they do? It's the always of Christ and, and, yeah. and service. Yeah. And so it's like. How can, how can they don't know what they're missing? You know, it's, it's, if if they get fed once a week, if that's what they're doing, if they're going to make their little deal on their Sunday thing, how can you eat once a week? 
and grow off that and develop. Right? Well, that, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, mean, I take somebody like, you know, Mark Myers, who I work with, you know, at Concord, and like, and like Corey, the tech guy. I mean, Sunday's the work day for them. They are busting it all day long. That's not, that's their act of worship, and that is their, that is their job, and that is the, their vocation. But it's the other times of the week that are edifying to them, where they get together with the people, and they don't have to actually work. You know, because for a lot of people, you know, and I think that's part of the reason I think sometimes why pastors burn out is because they're not, they're they're constantly, you know, working in that vocation, and and, and they're not experiencing the community, and and people people get intimidated by the pastor, and they don't, and there's a lot of people that aren't friends with the pastor because they think that the pastor's like, you know. Well, holy. the pastor wouldn't want to hang out with me. Way I mean, too holy. yeah, that's what I mean. He wouldn't want to hang out with me. That's and that's a total misunderstanding yeah, of what he's a there for. Yeah, misunderstanding of the of the human. He's energy. there to to equip them mm-hmm. as they use that as they can equip others. Um, so yeah, it, uh, the whole idea of uh, of this this nourishing, this feeding, the, the cherishing that's that's like clothing. Uh, you say well, clothing? What, what are we talking about? Just like one needs food and clothes, a baby needs that. And as they grow up, they constantly need that. We still need it, right? Those are two necessities. We have to have clothing. We have to have food, and uh, above all things. And and the bigger idea, though, really is taking care of, looking after, watching over, um, providing for, just making provisions. So when we put those together, the nourishing and the cherishing, he does that. Of course, a husband should desire to do that for his wife but why did he die for us he died so that he could sanctify us and cleanse us and then what's that all about well that we would be eventually we are going to be a glorious holy church without blemish as he's even nourishing and cherishing us now and you know what there is nothing that's going to stop that process that God has that sanctification nothing will stop what he wants to do. That's how in control that he is. If he has to use some kind of acid or some kind of cleansing agent or some kind of a bleach to get the spots out, he's going to do it. That's exactly what he does do. And he chastens those whom he loves. He chastens his own. So what kind of a father is it that doesn't discipline his children? Uh, he's going to get rid of the sin. And eventually he'll get rid of it all completely. No matter how deeply stained we can be with sin. And you think of 1 Corinthians 11, 12, uh, where um, they were to examine themselves. Some were becoming weak and sick and some were even dead because of the way that they had uh, carried on in their worship service at Corinth and especially as far as the Lord's Supper was concerned. And uh, he gave them a warning there. Uh, he, he will even take his people out. But he says in Philippians 1.6, uh, what he begins, he will complete until the day of Christ. How can anybody ever even lo- uh, think of losing salvation when you take a view of the bride and the bridegroom and how efficient and how effective and how the promises are of of uh, of God. Oh, yeah, they believe. <laughs> yeah. Close with this. Look in Revelation nineteen six through nine. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's the righteousness of Christ that is there. Arrayed in fine linen. So bright and brighter than the, the noonday sun in the sense of uh, the righteousness of Christ. Uh, again in verse 14, The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses. You know what? The splendor of that glorious 
wedding day that uh, we're going to have. It's uh, going to be absolutely awesome and tremendous. How, how, how can you come up with the words that uh, we have? That's what Christ is looking forward to. That's why He's doing to us what He's doing. Most things we like, there's a few things that we don't necessarily like, don't like to go through, but He's going to use those to clean us. And sometimes He has to use some abrasive things. You remember the lava soap? <laughs> Pretty abrasive sometimes, but uh, it could sure do the job. It works. Yeah. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? And so, therefore, that's that. We didn't get to the one flesh, verse 30 and 31, about this great mystery, and that's what this is all about, the very heart of the mystery, and this organic unity that uh, we have. That's a, It's a great mystery. Of course, we've been looking into that. but That's kind of what we'll tie into next week. Anyway, a little bit upbeat there. You guys thought we were going to be talking about marriage tonight. And we did. The ultimate marriage. So how is that? Does that work? I think that's really what it's all about. But um, husbands and wives, that doesn't dismiss you from submitting and loving, right? It's funny. Put that on hold and it doesn't stop. Yeah.